0: in chapter 26 here in Acts we pick up on another part of the trial that Paul goes through. It's a legal trial and we see him giving his defense in this trial. Remember last week that there was a great uh, there was a great pomp and ceremony um, in the people who came to this trial, King Agrippa and Bernice, and I'll talk a little later about exactly who they are and where they fit in, are present at this trial, and all of the, the, um, the government officials are here at this trial. King Agrippa gives Paul permission to speak, and Paul begins his defense by saying he's, he's happy that he can give his defense before Agrippa. King Agrippa was a Jew himself, and he was considered by the Jews as an expert in Jewish custom. And so Paul was glad that a person with his background and experience would be able to preside over this hearing. We know that the charges against Paul were bogus, but they were based on the religious battle that was going on between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and in fact, um, Paul himself as one who believed in Christ and began speaking and sharing the gospel with everyone. Several times before this trial, it had been stated, it was stated by Claudius Lysias, who was the commander there in Jerusalem, that Paul had done nothing worthy of, of death or even imprisonment, and yet Paul was sent to Caesarea and had stayed there for over two years. He appeared before Felix there. Felix himself had a letter from uh, Claudius Lysias stating the fact that he saw nothing worthy of charging Paul, and yet Felix left Paul in prison until his term ended, And Festus took over as governor. Festus, as we saw in chapter 25, uh, took to the matter right away. And he saw nothing that uh, uh, Paul had done that was worthy of imprisonment, let alone uh, death. And so he invited King Agrippa to, to review this trial now that Paul had appealed to Caesar, he invited King Agrippa to come in and view this and help him write something in review that he could send with Paul to Caesar. At the, at the end of chapter 25, it says this, um, Therefore I brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So uh, Festus was hoping that uh, King Agrippa could help uh, review and crystallize uh, what needed to be said uh, as they sent Paul further to Rome before the emperor, before um, uh, Caesar. And so Paul starts here, and he's thankful uh for Agrippa now stepping in and and um presiding over this. I want you to think a little bit though in the mind of Paul. We will be thinking that, that Paul is looking to be freed. That Paul is would be happy to have someone who could make some sense out of his charges and totally set him free. Yet that's not the mind of Paul. I'm going to refer to this later, but we might as well take a look at it now. In chapter 23, back when Paul was attacked and the commander arrested him for his own defense so that he could stop the attack on, on Paul, Jesus spoke to Paul that night and in verse 11 I'm in Acts 23 verse 11 it says this the following night the Lord stood by him and said take courage for you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem you so you must testify also in Rome it was not God's purpose to set Paul free. In fact, when he said this, Paul was going to be sent to Caesarea and he would spend two more years in jail there before he'd have another trial and another trial. And it's at that other trial that he appealed to Caesar and now he was headed to Rome. In your mind, what do you think the outcome that Paul was looking forward to. In, in God's eyes, what, is, what was he doing with Paul and, and, and uh, what would he like to accomplish in Paul? See, in our minds, it'd be like, hey, just set me free. Just set me free. But in God's eyes, he's saying, no, Paul, I am going to send you to Rome. You, in fact, are not going to be set free yet. I'm sending you to Now let's go back to chapter 26. So verse 2 and 3 is kind of our intro. Paul is just politely um, setting up his defense. And his defense starts in verse 4. He first of all gives his personal testimony. Testimony. How many times in Acts have we heard this testimony? How many opportunities did Paul have to share this testimony? In fact, this is the very reason that God has allowed Paul to be arrested so that he could share this testimony. As you think and apply these truths to yourselves, I want you to think in terms of what God's purpose is for you And why he has you where you are right now. Right now. You may be looking for a certain outcome, but God has put you there for a reason. For some, you've wondered, why haven't I been promoted? Why haven't I moved on from this job to something that I prefer? Or others of you might be thinking, why did I get moved from the job that I really liked? And I'm placed where I am right now. Or maybe you favor where you are right now, but do you know why God has placed you where you are right now? It's a little bit more than about you. It's about God's purpose with you. And my prayers through this message that you would begin to surrender to God's purpose in your life. He's the one who created you. He made you. He brought you into existence. He has a time for you to live. He has a time for you to die. It is his time. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He has placed you in it. Now, some would think, well, that don't apply to me, preacher, because I ain't part of your church, and I don't belong to God. I got news for you. You have a sovereign creator, whether you bow down to him or not. Your life is not dependent on you and you are not the king in charge over your life. God is. And he's going to hold you into account for how you have lived that life and whether or not you've lived it according to his purpose or not. So Paul starts off his testimony and he says, hey, my life before my encounter with Jesus was like this. Verse 4 He says, My life is well known to the Jews, and they can tell you about it. I lived as a Pharisee. What that meant was, he was living under the strict religious order of his, his nationality as a Jew. It was something that all the Jews respected. And in fact, you can see in Jesus' day, he had many battles with the Pharisees because they were esteemed highly by the people, but they were very hypocritical. They said one thing and they did another. Paul says, I lived as a Pharisee. And he, he adds that he was on trial for his hope in God. The same kind of hope many of the Pharisees and many of the Jews in general shared. And that was the hope that God raises the dead, verse 7 and verse 8. So he makes it clear in his trial, what is this about? It's about God raising the dead. But he goes on in his personal story. He tells in verses 9 through 11 how he opposed the name of Jesus previously. He was convinced that he should oppose the name of Jesus, absolutely sold out for that purpose, and had given his life to do just that. He had gone from place to place. He had locked up saints in prison, and even voted for their death. Verse 10 explains that. In fact, we see that happening in his life in Acts chapter 7 in the life of a believer named uh, 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 Stephen. And Paul was the one there standing witness that Stephen should die. He punished believers in synagogues all over the place and even went to foreign lands outside of Israel to do the same thing but then in verse 12 something happens Paul tells of his interaction with Jesus verse 12 he says in this connection A journey to Damascus. In other words, I woke up this morning with my mind set on doing what I had always done, and that is to go to this place and arrest believers, those who, who honored and trusted and lived for Jesus. I went to Damascus with that purpose in mind. But when I got there, something happened. He said, I went there with the authority... The full authority of the chief priests and the commission of them. And when I got there, in verse 13, he says, I saw a great light and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice. Now, Paul doesn't spiritualize anything. He simply tells the facts of what happened. He is in, in court before the governor and before the king and all of their entourage. And he is speaking just the facts of what has happened to him. He says, when I got to Damascus, I saw a great light. It blinded me and I fell uh, to the ground and all those with me fell and I heard a voice. He got specific. He says, I'll tell you what the voice said. It said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, it's very clear who Paul, Paul opposed and what he was against. And so when his voice came saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He knew exactly what that was. But he was very puzzled. He said, Who are you, Lord? He knew he was going against those who trusted in Jesus. And now this person was telling him that he was going against him. This person who have been killed, put to death, is now speaking to him. And in fact, he says, why are you persecuting me? And this second statement just blows me away. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I'm going to get to that statement in just a minute. And he says, who are you, Lord? In verse 15, the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. So Paul, whose name was Saul then, had this encounter with Jesus, and it changed his life. And he's telling about it in court. Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? And he makes the second statement, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. A goad is a sharp stick. It's a a long, it's like a rod with a a sharp point on it. The purpose of the goad is to direct cattle so they move in the direction that you want them to move. And so if you have a fenced area, normally they take the fence and they let it get narrow and narrow and narrow until only one can can pass at a time. And a goad is in the back of that animal, so he's encouraged to keep going that way and not come this way. I use the word encouragement intentionally. Because he's strongly encouraged... To the point where he cannot resist that. And if he tries, it's under much pain. Jesus said to Paul, It's going to be hard for you to go against the goats. You see, when Saul woke up that morning, he intended to go in this direction. Now he's being stopped and there are goals that are telling him to go in the right direction. Now, some of you say, well, God is forcing him to be a Christian. God is forcing him to be saved. And you know what I say to you? Amen. Because none of us would be if God didn't move and act and make that Happen. Do you realize what happens when a person turns from sin to God? God is pointing them and moving them in the direction that He would have them to go. Saul woke up that morning. He didn't intend to go in that direction. But now he has had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, Look, dude. You can keep trying to do what you want to do, but you can't be God. He is directing you to this. You see what Paul is saying in court? <laughs> He's saying, look, I stood there like cattle, and I realized I was trying to go against the sharp sticks. And I went in the direction that God wanted me to go. Paul doesn't elaborate on what happened, but we're told this story again and again and again in Acts so that we might get the gist of this work that God is doing. I want you to continue. You'll get more. In verse 16, Verse 12 through 15, Paul tells of his interaction with Jesus. In verse 16 through 18, Paul tells of his new mission. Remember what his mission was when he got up that morning? But now, look at his new mission. Verse 16. So I want to just read that. The Lord said, this is verse 15, the middle of it. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise, rise. And stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. He recommissions Paul. He gives him a new purpose. That's what happens when you come to believe in Jesus. It's not because you decided to maybe think about it, consider a few things, and maybe, you know, plot out which way you're going to go. No. Jesus calls you to himself, and he states for you what his mission is for your life. So he says to him, Rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, and here it is, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you. In other words, he says, I'm calling you to serve me and be a witness of me, of what you know so far, and what I'm showing you right now, and what I'll show you in the future. It's a very simple witness. He says, obey me and tell others what I'm telling you. Speak my name before others. In fact, let's go ahead. He says this. Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. Now, he kind of sets it, as I would say, kind of backwards. I'm going to deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles. To the very people, he says in the next statement, to the very people I'm sending you. In other words, I'm going to send you to these people to be a witness, but I'm going to have to deliver you from them. Because not all of them are going to hear what you have to say. So Paul is in court and he's simply testifying what Jesus has said to him. You can't go against my will, Paul. And I'm I'm sending you to your people and to the Gentiles to be a a servant of mine and a witness of who I am and what I've done. And I'm going to have to deliver you from them too. Delivering you, verse 17, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's what God does with his gospel. He opens the eyes. He opens eyes and he turns people from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The work of the gospel changes hearts and therefore changes lives. It turns us from darkness. In other words, darkness is a representation of ignorance. It's a representation of sin, of that which is against God And it turns us to light, that which represents obedience to God, living a life that's pleasing to Him. And then He says, forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus offers those who trust in Him. Paul's in court, and in verse 19. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the holy vision. Paul is saying what is true. He's saying, I simply began to obey Jesus. Jesus had command on my life. Jesus was the one who told me where I was to go and what I was to do and for whose purpose I was to live. And I began to do just that. Paul says, I started right there in Damascus where I was. Then I went through Jerusalem and through all the region of Judea. And he says, to the Gentiles as well. He says, I told them they should repent and turn to God and perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. Repenting means turning from sin and turning to God. He says they should should commit deeds in keeping with that. In other words, not a fake repentance. Not just going to church, but living a life that's changed. They should perform deeds that's in keeping with this repentance. They should live in that way. In other words, he said, look, the way we drive on the street should display that we are trusting and obedient to God. The way that we talk. You know, people say, well, excuse me, excuse my French. No, your French tells who you are and where you're from. That your life has not changed, you have not turned and repented. He says, all that we do now should show that change and that living for God. You know, part of of, of why, you know, people don't like this term repent because they have to acknowledge they have something to repent from. And we live in society today that we think we're all right. But God lets us know that we're not all right. And in our hearts, there's a deep-rooted sin that, that, that goes against God. It opposes that which is, is God's way. It was that way with, with Paul. He thought he was doing right. In fact, he would have patted himself on the back for what he was doing. He would encourage others to do the same exact thing that he was doing. But when he had an encounter with God, when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, he realized how wrong he was. Immediately now, he began to live in, in fulfillment of God's purpose for him. He began to tell others who this Jesus was. He had Jesus all wrong. And now, God had opened his eyes. Jesus himself has spoken, spoken to him. He says in verse 21, now here's the thing. When you begin to, to live out God's purpose, you're going to find some obstacles. You're going to find some challenges. He says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. They didn't like him. You know, people don't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong we were out witnessing yesterday and there was a couple that were proudly walking their three kids into to the library and uh my wife had a chance to talk to them said, oh you've got three girls isn't that beautiful I said no we've got two boys we have two two girls we have one boy one of these is a boy." I looked at him he had a skirt with a rainbow He couldn't be more than seven years old. By their own words, they acknowledge their own foolishness. They could have said, yeah, we got three girls. But no, he's a boy who we've decided to allow to be a girl. Such foolishness. And people don't like to be told that this is wicked and this is wrong. It is against God. And so they reject the message of God. It says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. They were trying to accuse Paul of saying, of disrespecting their religion and saying everything that they said was wrong. (laughs) Paul took an interesting tactic. He says, no, not everything you said was wrong. You honor the Old Testament, and I certainly honor that. (laughs) You just don't know what you're talking about. You're just going your own way. You're not actually obeying God at all. This is what God is saying, because Paul went down the same route. He thought he was obeying God when he wasn't. But then his eyes were open, and he could see clearly. And he was willing to even suffer for the sake of living for Jesus. It's not easy to walk in obedience to God when others do not want to walk that way. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. But look what he says. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. (laughs) You'll be persecuted, but God will stand along with you. He will give you the strength. He will give you the ability to withstand so that you can be a testimony for his glory. So I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said will come to pass. In other words, he said, look, I am simply speaking the truth that you all should well know as Jews. And what is that truth? That Christ must suffer And that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. The Old Testament had made it clear that Christ was to suffer. This is what Paul was proclaiming. We can see the suffering servant proclaimed in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53. He proclaimed that this Christ would rise from the dead. This is what the Old Testament had proclaimed. We can see that in Psalm 16. In the psalm, it says, You know, I will not leave my precious one in the grave. We can see that this is what God had said in the Old Testament, but they had missed that point or ignored it. In fact, what well, Paul was saying, this is what God said about his son, his the Christ that who would who would come, and this Jesus fits that description perfectly. Now as Paul is sharing this witness, Festus interrupts. <laughs> Oftentimes when you speak, you if you speak in, in other areas, there there's often interruptions when the gospel goes out. It says, verse 24, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, notice, loud voice, he just interrupts, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind, he says. Paul says, I'm not out of my mind. I'm speaking, he says, Rational and true words. Verse 25. Paul is saying this, look, I'm simply telling you the truth of what happened to me. The man who you said should be dead and died and gone and buried, who you should come up with his body and show me, he spoke to me because he's in fact not dead. He is, in fact, risen from the dead. You know, this is not just some spiritual mumbo-jumbo. This is fact of what has happened. Let me tell you, people don't like the fact. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. just want to look very, very briefly here. Matthew 27, verse 57. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Glad to hear that. It says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was the disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he cut in a rock. And he rolled a great stone the entrance of the tomb and went away mary magdalene and the other mary were there sitting opposite the tomb the next day that is after the day of preparation the chief priests and the pharisees came or gathered before pilate and said sir we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive after three days i will rise therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day Lest his disciples go and steal them away and tell the people he is risen from the dead, and the last fraud be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go. Make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The next chapter talks about the events of of that day after Jesus was risen from the dead, how an angel appeared to these guards who were standing guard over the tomb. And he later talked to the ladies that came to see the body of Jesus, but his body was was not there. Jesus spoke to these ladies in person, and then they went on their way. So I want to direct your attention to Matthew 28, the next chapter, verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. You see, they didn't want the truth to get out. Instead, they brought a lie. That Jesus' body somehow had been stolen and they were faking his resurrection. But if you read in the great resurrection chapter in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you realize that lie wasn't enough. Because over 500 people were eyewitnesses to meet with Jesus when he was alive after his crucifixion. They met him face to face. They heard him speak. They were a witness to him. See, this is what Paul was. Paul was simply a witness to who Jesus was, the fact that he was alive and he was who he said he was. So after sharing this testimony back in our text in Acts chapter 26, Paul personally challenges or appeals King Agrippa. Now let me tell you who King Agrippa was. King Agrippa is Herod Agrippa II. The last in the line of Herod's. You read the New Testament and you will recognize King Herod. Well King Agrippa II his great grandfather was Herod the Great who ruled at the time of Jesus' birth and murdered the children of Bethlehem in an effort to kill Jesus. That was his great-grandfather. His great-uncle was Herod Antipas, who executed John the Baptist and was present at the trial of Jesus. If you remember, Jesus went between Pilate and Herod. That was Herod Antipas that Jesus stood before. It was the great-uncle of this Herod Agrippa II. His father, Herod Agrippa I, was the Herod of Acts chapter 12, the one who killed James, and the one who arrested Peter, and later was eaten by worms as God condemned him for not giving him glory. Acts chapter 12 is a story there. This Herod Agrippa, called King Agrippa here, history known as Herod Agrippa II, had two notable sisters. Both are mentioned in Acts. Bernice is one who's there with him. Bernice was his sister, yes. Also, He had an incestual relationship with her, which was the gossip of all of the area. She's mentioned here in Acts 26. Their relationship was the gossip because she was also the mistress of an emperor there and later even with the emperor's son. That just shows you her own lifestyle and his own lifestyle. That's how wicked they were. They both, as brother and sister, had another sister. Her name was Drusilla. She's mentioned in Acts chapter 24 as the wife of Governor Felix. You see, this King Grippa's been around. He's experienced some things, and now he's presiding at the trial of Paul, and this is what Paul says to him. When Festus, the governor, says, Paul, you're out of your mind, he says, no, I'm not, I'm speaking true and rational words, and he says this in verse 26, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Now you get more of the context of what he's saying, King. Your great grand, your great grandfather was the heir who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. Your great uncle was the one who tried to kill his cousin, or actually did kill his cousin because he wanted his brother's wife and was enticed with his wife's, so-called wife's daughter in a dance. Your father is the one that killed James, the apostle. You know very well who this Jesus is. You know all about him. And you yourself as a Jew know the Old Testament as well. And so he says to King, you believe the prophets? I know that you do. In other words, I know you have a knowledge about the Old Testament, and you accept the truth of the Old Testament, but your life is a lie. When I was confronted with the truth, God changed me, Paul is saying. And I live and I walk in that truth. You, sir, have the opportunity to hear God's truth and to be transformed, what will you do? Pastor Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me <laughs> to be a Christian? You can just see him with a nervous laugh in his face. Because he can't debate the truths of what Jesus has said to Paul or his encounter with this Jesus or the fact that these things are true because they met in secret to say, hey, we know this stuff is true, but they can't get out. Let's put out this lie that somebody stole his body. Oftentimes when the truth is present, people choose to ignore it because it's not to turn from his wickedness and from his foolishness with Bernice sitting right at his side. very life at trial And that's why Paul says, whether it takes a little time or a long time, I wish that you all would believe and be. Don't let your status in life and the fact that the gospel makes you uncomfortable stop you from believing the truth and turning the gospel out. He's calling us to do just that. And his gospel is going to grip those who he's calling and draw them to himself as it did Paul. But there's another side of it. It will allow those who do not turn to Christ and condemn them to the judgment of God. Him, will he be free or his, his desire to be free? It's about God ordaining some circumstances whereby he can speak to even the king and give the gospel to him it was his father Agrippa I who had met with John the Baptist if you can remember that encounter he was intrigued by John he wanted to speak to John look for ways of how he could let John go but he was compelled by his own status and by those under him to murder John, he's going to stand in judgment of that. He had the very man who could give him the gospel and be a witness in his own life right in front of him. Now his son has that same opportunity. One had John the Baptist and one had witness and testimony. How will they answer before God? Now, I, I, I'm, I'm nowhere to be compared with any of those men, and yet God is going to hold you accountable, not for what I say, but what his word says to you that you either embrace or you ignore. I realize the length that you go through to have your message presented to each one of us Paul's very life was at stake, but he chose to speak the gospel. He was faithful to speaking that gospel. And in your eyes, he has done what you have charged him to do. And yet you hold accountable Bernice, King Agrippa, Festus, all who were at that court room who later left off saying, hey, this Paul's not guilty of anything. He could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to, to Caesar. They then acknowledged that what he said was true, but they didn't want to take it any further. I pray to, today, Lord, that we would take it as you intend. We would hear your gospel message. We would turn from our sin to the Savior who has died to pay for our sin He was risen and living he's sitting at your right hand right now all power and authority is in his hand he said if we today are ashamed of him and his words before others he'll be ashamed of us at his kingdom I pray that we not be ashamed but that we speak the truth we live the truth and we share that truth with others pray this now in Jesus' name.